0: CHAPTER FIVE OF CHILD LIFE IN COLONIAL DAYS BY ALICE MORSE EARL. THIS LIBRIVOX RECORDING IS IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. HORNBOOK and PRIMER To those who are in years but babes, I bow my pen to teach them what the letters be and how they may improve their a b c nor let my pretty children them despise all needs must there begin that would be wise nor let them fall under discouragement who at their hornbook stick and time hath spent upon that a b c while others do into their primer or their psalter go a book for boys and girls or country rhymes for children by john bunyan sixteen eighty six the english philosopher john locke in his thoughts concerning education written in sixteen ninety says the method of teaching children to read in england at that time was always the ordinary road of hornbook primer psalter testament and bible these he said engage the liking of children and tempt them to read the road was the same in new england but it would hardly be called a tempting method the first book from which the children of the colonists learn their letters and to spell was not really a book at all in our sense of the word it was what was called a horn book a thin piece of wood usually about four or five inches long and two inches wide had placed upon it a sheet of paper a trifle smaller printed at the top with the alphabet in large and small letters below were simple syllables such as a b e b i b o b etc then came the lord's prayer this printed page was covered with a thin sheet of yellowish horn which was not as transparent as glass yet permitted the letters to be read through it and both the paper and the horn were fastened round the edges to the wood by a narrow strip of metal usually brass which was tacked down by fine tacks or nails it was therefore a book of a single page at the two upper corners of the page were crosses hence to read the horn-book was often called reading a criss-cross row at the lower end of the wooden back was usually a little handle which often was pierced with a hole thus the horn-book could be carried by a string which could be placed around the neck or hung by the side when five years ago was published my book entitled customs and fashions in old new england i wrote that i did not know of the preservation of a single horn book in america though for many years eager and patient inquiries of english and of american blood had vainly sought in american historical collections in American libraries in American rural homes for a true American hornbook, that is, one studied by American children of colonial times. The publication of my statement has made known to me three American hornbooks. The first is the shabby little treasure owned by Mrs. Anne Robinson-Minturn of shoreham vermont found hidden under the dusty eaves of a vermont garret the illustration shows its exact size on the back is a paper coarsely stamped in red with a portrait of charles the second king of england on horseback this may indicate its age but not its exact date THE YOUNG COLONIST WHO OWNED IT WAS BY THIS PRINT TAUGHT LOYALTY TO THE CROWN, THOUGH IN A FAR LAND. THE SECOND HORNBOOK IS OWNED BY MISS GRACE L. GORDON OF FLUSHING, LONG ISLAND. IT IS A FAMILY HEIRLOOM, HAVING COME TO ITS PRESENT OWNER THROUGH A GREAT UNCLE WHO WAS BORN IN 1782 and stated that it was used by his father who was born in 1736 the tablet is of oak and the back is covered with a red paper stamped with the design of a double-headed eagle the third owned by mrs john w norton of Guilford, connecticut is almost precisely like miss gordon's and is equally well preserved from these shabby little relics and from thousands of their ill-printed but useful kinsfolk childish lips in america first read aloud the letters pointed firmly out by a knitting-needle in some dame's hand undisturbed by kindergarten inductions and suggestions unbewildered by baleful processes and diagrams unthreatened by scientific principles of instruction did the young colonists stoutly shout their a b a b s did they spell out their prayer did they read in triumphal chorus their criss-cross row ISN'T IT STRANGE THAT THESE THREE LONELY LITTLE GHOSTS OF OLD-TIME SCHOOLING SHOULD BE THE ONLY REPRESENTATIVES OF THEIR REGIMENTS OF CLASSMATES? WOULDN'T IT SEEM THAT TENDER ASSOCIATION, OR MISERLY HOARDING, OR EVEN FORGETFUL NEGLECT WOULD HAVE MADE SOME GREATER SALVAGE OF THE VAST NUMBER OF HOARD BOOKS SENT TO THIS COUNTRY IN THE CENTURY AFTER ITS SETTLEMENT? that by intent or accident many scores would have survived but these are all three little battered oaken backs and stubby handles three faded paper slips a splintered sheet or two of horn a few strips of brass tape a score of tiny hand-wrought nails all poor things enough but shaping themselves into precious and treasured relics another of their kindred a penny horn book proved its present value at a sale in london in eighteen ninety three by fetching the far from ignoble sum of sixty-five pounds one of these little horn books filled in its single self what has become a vast item in public school expenses as mr martin wittily expresses it it was in embryo all that massachusetts statutes now designate by the formal phrase textbooks and supplies the knitting needle of the school dame could be dignified by the pompous name of fescue a pointer and something of that nature—a straw, a pin, a quill, a skewer of wood—was always used to direct children's eyes to letter or word. There certainly were plenty of these humble little engines of instruction in America. Old Judge Sewell had them for his fourteen children at the end of the 17th century, as we know from his diary— HE WROTE IN 1691 OF HIS SON JOSEPH GOING TO SCHOOL, HIS COUSIN JANE ACCOMPANYING HIM, carrying HIS HORN-BOOK. WAYSTILL WINTHROP SENT THEM TO HIS LITTLE CONNECTICUT PLANTATION NIECES IN 1716. IT IS TOLD OF ONE ZEALOUS PURITAN MINISTER THAT HATING THE SYMBOLISM OF THE CROSS he blotted it out of the criss-cross row of a number of horn-books imported to Boston. Gilt horns were sold in Philadelphia with Bibles and primers, as we learn from the Pennsylvania Gazette of December 4, 1760, and in New York in 1753, so says the New York Gazette of May 14th of that year pretty little lesson-toys these gilded horns must have proved but not so fine as the horn-books of silver and ivory used by young misses of quality in england scores of pictures by seventeenth-century artists on canvas and glass showed demure little maids and masters with hanging horn-books even the pictures of the holy family show the infant christ hornbook in hand tenderly taught by the virgin mother the hornbook was called by other names horngig hornbat battle door book abc book etc and in dutch it was the ab they were worked in needlework and written in ink and stamped on tin and carved in wood as well as printed and prior tells in rhyme of a horn-book common enough in england which must have proved eminently satisfactory to the student to master john the english maid a horn-book gives of gingerbread and that the child may learn the better as he can name he eats the letter to this day in england at certain fairs and in kensington bake-shops these gingerbread horn-books are made and sold in spite of the solemn warning of british moralists no licorice learning to thy babes extend still all the letters are digested hateful ignorance detested I have seen in New England what were called cookie-moulds, which were of heavy wood in size with the alphabet, were of ancient Dutch manufacture, and had been used for the making of those cookjee hornbooks. The sight of an old hornbook must always be of interest to any one of any power of imagination or of thoughtful mind who can read between the irregular lines the ill-shapen letters its true significance as the emblem the well-spring of english education and literature this thought of the symbolism of the hornbook is expressed in quaint words on the back of a shabby battered specimen of questionable age in the british museum What more could be wished for even by a literary gourmand under the tutors, than to be able to read and spell, to repeat that holy charm before which fled all unholy ghosts, goblins, or even the old gentleman himself, to the very bottom of the Red Sea, to say that immortal prayer which seems heaven to all, who ex animo use it, and to have those mathematical powers by knowing units from which spring countless myriads for a fuller account of the hornbook readers should go to the history of the hornbook by andrew w Tour, two splendid volumes forming one of the most interesting and exhaustive accounts of any special educational topic that has ever been written the printed cardboard door was a successor of the horn-book this was often printed on a double fold of stiff card with a third fold or flap lapping over like an old pocket-book these battledores were issued in such vast numbers that it is futile to attempt even to allude to the myriad of publishers and a fin of the hornbook is seen in the wooden reading boards which were used a hundred years ago in erasmus hall the famous old academy built in seventeen eighty six in flatbush long island it is still standing and still used for educational purposes these reading boards or tablets of wood fifteen inches long covered on either side with time yellowed paper printed in large letters with some simple reading lesson the old-fashioned long s in the type proves their age THROUGH A PIERCED HOLE A LOOP OF STRING SUSPENDED THESE BOARDS BEFORE A CLASS OF LITTLE SCHOLARS WHO DOUBTLESS ALL READ IN CHORUS. SIMILAR ONES BEARING THE ALPHABET ARE STILL USED IN CORNISH SUNDAY SCHOOLS. THEY WERE CERTAINLY USED IN DUTCH SCHOOLS TWO CENTURIES AGO, AS THE ILLUSTRATIONS OF OLD DUTCH BOOKS PROVE a primer or primer was specifically and ecclesiastically before and after the reformation in england a book of private devotions as authorized by the church and written or printed partially or wholly in the vernacular it contained devotions for the hours the creed lord's prayer ten commandments some psalms and certain instructions as to the elements of christian knowledge these little books often open with criss-cross row or alphabet arranged hornbook fashion hence the term primer naturally came to be applied to all elementary books for children's use a b c the middle english name for the alphabet in the forms apse a b c e apse etc was also given to what we now call a primer shakespeare called it book. the list in dives pragmaticus runs i have inked paper and pens to load with a barge primus and and books of small charge what lack you scholars come hither to me the book which succeeded the horn book in general use was the new england primer it was the most universally studied school book that has ever been used in america for one hundred years it was the school book of america for nearly another hundred years it was frequently printed and much used more than three million copies of this new england primer were printed so declares its historian paul leicester ford these were studied by many more millions of school children all of us whose great-grandparents were american-born may be sure that those great-grandparents and their fathers and mothers and ancestors before them learned to read from one of these little books it was so religious in all its teachings and suggestions that it has been fitly called the little bible of new england it is a poorly printed little book about five inches long and three wide of about eighty pages it contains the alphabet a short table of easy syllables such as ab ab eb, E-B, E-B and words up to those of six syllables this was called a syllabarium there were twelve five-syllable words of these five were abomination edification humiliation mortification and purification there were a morning and evening prayer for children and a grace to be said before meat then followed a set of little rhymes which have become known everywhere and are frequently quoted each letter of the alphabet is illustrated with a blurred little picture of these two-thirds represent biblical incidents they begin in adam's fall we sinned all and end with z zacchaeus he did climb a tree his lord to see in the early days of the primer all the colonies were true to the english king and the rhyme for the letter k reads king charles the good no man of blood but by revolutionary years the verse for k changed to queens and kings are gaudy things later verses tell the praise of george washington then comes a series of bible questions and answer. then an alphabet of lessons for youth consisting of verses of the bible beginning successively with a b c and so on x was a difficult initial letter and had to be contented with exhort one another daily etc after the lord's prayer and the apostles creed appeared sometimes a list of names for men and women to teach children to spell their own names the largest and most interesting picture was that of the burning at the stake of john rogers and after this a six-page set of pious rhymes which the martyr left at his death for his family of small children after the year seventeen fifty a few very short stories were added to its pages and were probably all the children's stories many of the scholars of that day ever saw it is interesting to see that the little prayer so well known to-day beginning now i lay me down to sleep is usually found in the new england primer of dates later than the year 1737 the shorter catechism was perhaps the most important part of this primer it was so called in contrast to the catechism in use in england called the careful father and pious child which had 1200 questions with answers the shorter catechism had but a hundred and seven questions though some of the answers were long usually another catechism was found in the primer called the spiritual milk for babes it was written by the boston minister john cotton and it had about 87 questions with short answers sometimes a dialogue between christ youth and the devil was added the shorter catechism was the special delight of all new englanders cotton mather called it a little watering pot to shed good lessons he begged writing masters to set sentences from it to be copied by their pupils and he advised mothers to continually drop something of the catechism on their children as honey from the rock learning the catechism was enforced by law in new england and the deacons and ministers visited and examined families to see that the law was obeyed thus it may plainly be seen that this primer truly filled the requisites of what the roxbury school trustees called Scholastic, Theological, and Moral Discipline. End of chapter 5